You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Hey, good morning, Highland. Uh, my name is Nick, like John said, and uh, I had the blessing of calling Highland uh, home for three years while I was here in college. And so I was a, a Highlander as well, and I had that, the gift of getting to serve in the, uh, the youth ministry and the college ministry. And uh, so I look around, I see a lot of familiar faces, and it really does feel kind of like a, a family reunion to be back here this morning. And so I was actually on the phone with Pastor John a couple weeks ago, and I told him whenever we were talking that a passage that kept coming to mind for me uh, was Romans chapter 1. As we were discussing coming back here this morning, uh, which Romans chapter one is Paul writing to the church in Rome and telling them that he's thankful for them. And he tells the church in Rome that he hears about their faithfulness from afar. Uh, And then he tells them that he's longing to be back with them so that they can mutually encourage one another in the faith. And uh, Highland, that is exactly how I felt as I've been preparing to come back here this morning. And, uh, and so uh, Highland, like I said, was uh, my home for three years in college. And it's a place that God used to shape me and to encourage me and to challenge me and ultimately to grow my love for Christ and his church. And uh, so I am very, very thankful to be back. I can't reiterate that enough. And uh, so this morning, we're going to be in another one of Paul's letters, uh, specifically chapter uh, three of Second Timothy. So if you have your copy of God's word and want to join me there, chapter three of Second Timothy. And what we're going to be doing is simply walking through the text and just seeing what Paul was trying to tell uh, this young Timothy who's leading the church in Ephesus. And so specifically the topic that Paul focuses in on and that we're going to focus in on this morning uh, in turn is God's word or scripture, which is really fitting because whenever I think about this place, like one of the reasons I love this place is because the people here, the leaders, the pastors, the elders, the members, they love this book. And I hope it's one of your, uh, the reasons you love this place as well. And what I want to do is I want you to take a moment and I want you to stop and consider what your relationship with this book looks like. And, uh, And I ask that, and I want you to be honest with yourself. I want you to think about, whenever you think about God's word, what comes to mind for you? And so I wish I could share uh, my entire story or testimony with you guys. But in short, I didn't start walking with the Lord until college. And to help paint a picture of what my view of God's word was for a lot of my life, uh, I'll tell you guys a story. I, was, I remember laying in bed as a middle schooler, as a high schooler. And as I lay in bed, I'd look over at this Bible that sat on my nightstand. And I remember looking at that Bible. And these are the kind of thoughts that went through my head. If I was to die right now, I don't know where I'd end up. I know that that book is about God and I know that I rarely read it and it seems like a rule book to me. And at this point in my life, I'm not playing by its rules. I'm not doing what that book says and uh, I should be. And because of that, I'm scared. And so I don't know if you know how scary it is as a middle schooler, as a high schooler to be laying in bed at night and to not know in the back of your mind, if you were to die that night, where you'd end up. And looking back, not only does that confirm that I didn't have a right understanding of God's word, but it also shows I didn't have a right understanding of the gospel. And what I wish I would have done is I wish I would have grabbed that Bible off my nightstand, flipped on the light and dug through it. Because what I would have seen is a story of a merciful, gracious God who 
loves us in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our sin. So much so that this book is a story of a Messiah, of a Savior. And so remember, and remember what John mentioned to us a couple weeks back, or a couple weeks back about uh, in Genesis that God promises a victorious offspring who's to come from a woman. And then in Matthew, we see in the New Testament that this victorious offspring comes, a Savior whose name is Jesus, who's born in a manger. And then he grows up and he lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he was put to death on a cross that he didn't deserve so that he could take the wrath of God and the penalty for our sins that we deserve upon himself. And then raised three days later, proving he was who he said he was, the son of God. And thus defeating death so that we can in turn place our faith in him as our savior and live in right relationship with this God, with the creator of the universe forever. That's what this book is about. It's not a rule book. It's not boring. It's the only place where salvation and life is found. And so I've been here enough at this church. I've been at Highland enough times to know that that message is something that this body sings loudly. And I'm thankful for that. And so let's continue to do that, Highland, because it's a message worth sharing. And so I'm going to pray before we dive into God's word. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. God, we thank you for the fact that um, not only did you send Jesus, but God, you Uh, had your word written down so that we could have it here with us this morning so that we could learn from it and so that we could see more clearly who you are and what you desire for us. And so God, I just ask this morning that our hearts would be open to your word, God, and that it would just uh, penetrate deep down into our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And so 2 Timothy, uh, let's dive in. Chapter three, starting in verse 10. Paul writes, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so what we see here in 2 Timothy is Paul, again, he's writing a letter to this young Timothy who's leading the church in Ephesus. And the first portion of the letter focuses in on uh, Paul encouraging Timothy to continue to uh, persevere. And then Paul kind of shifts and he warns Timothy of these false teachers and deceit that may rise up within the church. And specifically in the text that we just read, what we see uh, is that Paul says something really interesting. What Paul says, um, what he tells Timothy is to expect persecution. And not only that, but he goes a step further and he talks about his own persecution. And then he says that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Like that'll get your attention. Because my hope for all of us is that we all want to live a godly life. And if that's the case, then Paul says here that you will be persecuted. And so let's examine that a little bit further. If you've read this book at all, if you've read God's word at all, you will quickly notice that a lot of what it says flies directly in the face 
of what the world is saying and teaching. And if you even stop to consider Jesus' words himself in John chapter 15, he, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So the first thing I want to note this morning is this. The Christian life does not protect you from persecution. It provides it. So again, the Christian life, it doesn't protect us believers from persecution. It actually provides it. And so again, Paul mentions in verse 11, his persecutions that he faced at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. And, uh, and so the question, it's a fair question for us to ask of why was he facing persecution? Because if Paul says he was facing persecution, it's fair for us to say, hey, what's the message that he was sharing that was leading to that persecution? And so let's take a look at it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul writes, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Then he continues on a few verses later in that same chapter, and he says, But we, followers of Jesus, preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. And so Paul here, he's giving some context into the message that he proclaimed throughout his life after he turned to Jesus. In the me- in a, later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he would write, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. And so what Paul was doing was he was simply going around and he's telling them, he's saying, hey, there's this guy named Jesus. And he came and he lived amongst us. And you guys put him to death. And that same Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through me. And Paul would also write in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Romans 6.23, he would say that the wages of sin is death. And so if you've ever shared the gospel with an unbeliever... You know that it can get a little bit awkward whenever you get to this point in the conversation where you have to look them in the eyes and tell them, hey, you are a sinner. And apart from Christ, you're heading for hell. And if you're here in the room and you're not a believer and you hear that, hear me say that I know that that can feel condemning. But we know that if we continue to read on in scripture, Paul also writes in Romans 8.1 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so as believers, we can share that message and also share that not only are you a sinner, but that's why Christ came. To pay the penalty for your sins. And we don't deserve that. It's called grace and it's the greatest gift that you could ever receive. That Jesus loves you so much that he would lay down his life for you. For the sake of your eternity. And so wrapping around to what I mentioned earlier about persecution. I'll follow that up with this. The word of God proclaims the message of hope, of life and salvation. And it's worth sharing. Again, the message of God proclaims. The message or the word of God proclaims the message of hope, of life, and of salvation, and it's worth sharing. And so let's continue to unpack that a little bit more. 
as we dive back into 2 Timothy 3, verse 13. It says, but as for you, believer in Christ, continue in what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Wise for salvation. What does that mean? What it means is, again, from Genesis to Revelation, this book is a story about a broken humanity and a perfect, just, faithful, and loving God who intends to redeem us back into right relationship with him. Wise for salvation. Again, what that means is that this sacred book, the Bible that's sitting in your lap, that you're holding in your hands, that you have on your phone, contains the message of eternal life. And I know that some of you here are sitting in your seat and you're looking for life anywhere you can find it. And I know that because I've been in your seat. I've been there before. And what Paul tells us is that this book is where life is found. Jesus says, come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my, Jesus, yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Guys, this is the one passage in all of scripture where Jesus himself describes his own heart uh, introspectively. And what are the words that he chooses to use? Gentle and lowly. That's incredible. That's incredible. And so God's word isn't a rule book. It's a pathway to a relationship with the one in whom you can find rest for your soul. And God's word isn't a rule book. It's a pathway to a relationship for the one in whom you can find rest for your soul. And so Revelation 22, the last book of the Bible, or last chapter of the Bible says in verses 16 and 17, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And this is just as much a message for those in the room that would already say that they have proclaimed faith in Christ. I want you guys to realize this morning that you worship and you serve a king in Jesus who calls us time and time again to come back to him. It doesn't matter what you've done. Look at the cross to realize that that's true. And come back to this self-proclaimed gentle and lowly king. And so going back into 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So all scripture is breathed out by God. This is really important because what this means is that God didn't leave us in the dark. God revealed himself to us. Not only that, but he revealed who we are and how things are designed to work in light of that. And so what does verse 16 tell us that God's word does? First, God's word teaches us. And so let me say something real quick. Truth is not something that's naturally inside of us. 
Truth uh, is not something that we determine based on our own feelings. It's not fluid. It is fixed. And so to help illustrate this point a little bit, uh, my senior year of high school, my uh, style of choice was I rocked a gelled mohawk. I had a starched uh, jeans, Wrangler jeans. I wore cowboy boots, a big belt buckle, and a Western shirt. And so uh, if you think about that, a gelled mohawk and starched jeans and a cowboy boot are typically things that don't go together. But that's where my feelings of what's right led me. And I say that kind of jokingly, but the point that I want to make and what I want you to hear is this, that truth matters. I've heard it said that feelings are real, but they're not always reliable. But you know what is reliable? This book. It was breathed out by God and it's authoritative in our lives. And so what God's word does is as you read it, it illuminates itself to you. And it comes into your heart and you find healing through it. As it floods in your heart, as you immerse yourself in it. And so what, uh, what verse 16 tells us that God's word does next is it reproves and it corrects. And I put these two together because I really think that they're tied together in many uh, ways. And what I mean by that is that we have a God who not only reproves us and says, hey, not like that. But he also comes alongside us and corrects us and says, hey, more like this. And so praise again that we have a God who doesn't just reprove us and leave us in our brokenness, but he also loves us enough to come alongside us and to correct us and show us a better way. Because, and he doesn't just leave us grasping for what we want because the truth is, is there, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Proverbs fourteen twelve. And so next what verse 16 tells us that God's word does is it trains us in righteousness. And so I don't know about you, but whenever I uh, hear the word uh, train or training, the first thing that comes to mind for me is running. And so uh, the reason for that, and specifically half marathons, and the reason for that is because my sophomore year uh, at Baylor, I heard about this thing called the Silo District Half Marathon, which if you've heard of the Silo District Half Marathon, it's uh, something that Chip and Joe put on. It happens every year. And whenever I heard about it, uh, call me crazy, like, but I kind of enjoy running. Like, it's kind of therapeutic for me. So I heard about it, and I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. I'll sign up for it. So what happened is I signed up for it, and I started training for it. And as time went by, as I was training, uh, I got to this point where training wasn't very fun anymore. Like, I would be dead exhausted. My legs would hurt. I wouldn't want to run. But what ended up happening is I got to race day, and I ran. And hear me say, please, I did not win it. But I finished it, and it felt really good to finish. And so to contrast that story with another story, my senior year, uh, it had always been on my bucket list to run uh, the marathon. And so, uh, and so my strategy, to tell you a little bit of difference between my, uh, my sophomore year of college and my senior year, is I had way more time my sophomore year of college than I did my senior year. So my strategy going into the marathon was I was just going to wing it. Which, uh, if, if you know what the marathon is, uh, if you're from Waco, if you're a Baylor student, you know that out of all the half marathons, um, the marathon is not the one that you want to wing. Like, it's brutal. They call it the toughest half marathon in Texas for a reason. And so what happened is I got to race day, and I'm about six, seven miles in, and, uh, and I remember just being, like, pretty gassed. But I was like, I think I, can, I think I can make it. Like, I think I can finish. And then I hit Cameron Park. And so if you've ever even driven through Cameron Park... Like, you know that it is just 
there's a lot of hills. We'll just say that. And so I get to this point in the race and I just remember looking up at the sky and I'm laying on my back and I was thinking, I think this is the day that I see Jesus. Like this is the day that I, that I go to glory. And, uh, and so to the reason why that happened is because training is not always fun. It's not enjoyable. And so whenever I see Paul write for training in righteousness, I look at righteousness, which by definition means the quality of being morally right or justifiable. And I say, hey, that sounds great. But training in order to get there, not so much. But when you examine this text in the light of, of the rest of scripture, what you'll see is that God uses tough seasons. Seasons of pain and grief and hardship in the life of his people to forge virtue and righteousness. And so James writes in uh, James chapter one, he says, but count it or count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And Paul writes in Romans chapter five, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. And so I want to circle back to something that I kind of skimmed over earlier in 2 Timothy. And so if you still have your Bibles open to 2 Timothy, will you look with me at chapter 3, verse 11? Paul wrote, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all, the Lord has rescued me. The Lord has rescued me. That's amazing. Think about that. And so let's have a conversation real quick. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know what kind of phone call you got this last week. I don't know what's going on with your kids or your parents or your grandkids. I don't know the extent of your anxiety or depression, but I do know one thing. I know that God is with you. I know that we serve and we worship a God who is deeply relational. A God who draws near to the brokenhearted. A God who cares about your pain and your suffering. And I believe, I really do, that God doesn't want to waste your pain. But instead, he wants to use it, like we just read in Romans 5, to produce endurance. Which in turn produces character. Which in turn produces hope. And not only that, but a hope that does not put us to shame. A hope that can't be shaken, Highland. And so for training in righteousness, Paul writes, let's rejoice in the good news that that is. So verse 16, again, it says, all scriptures breathed out by God for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And then he goes on to say that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is huge, guys. God's word, it tells us, it equips us for every good work. And so in other words, it makes us more like Christ. It sanctifies us. That's what godliness is, being equipped for every good work. In the scriptures, Paul tells us that through the Holy Spirit, by way of the scriptures, they equip us to do the good work that needs to be done. 
And so Christian, let me remind you of something in case you didn't realize it this past week. We live in a broken world. I hope that you can see and recognize that. We live in a broken world. And we, as believers in Christ, we have the message of hope. We have a way to be trained and sanctified so that we can go be a light to this world. This is amazing news. And so I debated, uh, I went back and forth on how I was going to close out this message because, um, you know, it's the beginning of the year. And so it would be, it could be a good time to give you guys some Bible reading plans or to give you all some tips and tricks on what it looks like to spend time in God's word. And, uh, and while I know that that is really important, and I, if you don't have that, find a believer that you trust and respect or a leader, come talk to me and we'll help you with that. But more than anything this morning, I want to encourage you to think about what I said at the beginning. What comes to mind when you think of God's word? And I want to encourage you to pray and to ask the Lord to stir your affections for his word so that you can have a heart like David in Psalm 119 when he says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Because when you realize that this book is where life is found, that it's not a rule book, that it's actually the only way to complete freedom. When you realize the purpose of this book and the fact that God loves you so much that he would provide it for you, give you access to it. That's my hope, my prayer this morning is that we would see that that's true. And that we would come to understand how much God loves us in light of the fact that he would provide this scripture for us. And would we continuously remind ourselves and others of that? And so I don't have time to read all of 2 Timothy chapter four, but I do wanna close uh, with a few of the words that Paul wrote to Timothy. And so 2 Timothy chapter four, verses one through eight says, Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Christian, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so Highland, let's be a people that know God's word. 
Let's be a people that teach God's word. Let's do the work of an evangelist. And like Paul said here, let's be poured out like a drink offering. Let's continue to be people who love God and seek to know him more. As we take his word, as we take the message of hope to a broken and lost world who desperately needs it. And so will you stand with me as I pray? And then we're gonna, uh, we're gonna close as we continue to worship in song. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that, again, you would love us enough to send your word, to reveal yourself to us. God, not only that, but to tell us the message of Jesus of the Messiah, of the Savior who came to save us. God, we do, we live in a broken world and you see it. God, I just ask that we can be people who take your word, who take your message to those around us as we proclaim the truth that is found in you. Lord, we thank you for Highland. We thank you for a place that faithfully teaches your word that we can come week after week and learn more about you. God, thank you. In Jesus' name.